in our lives. So, Lord, uh, we want to gather our scattered thoughts together and we want to focus on you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you will breathe our peace into our lives. Just, you know, whatever's going on in the background, lower our adrenaline levels, slow down our parasympathetic nervous systems, just enable us to listen and be present, um, which of course is a miracle if there are little children running around us. Um, but we just ask for this now to, to be able to hear and to think clearly together in the midst of all of this. And we ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Uh, well, it's genuinely great to see you. Uh, I don't know how you're going. It's, um, it's not a great old time, is it, uh, in many ways. And I hope you were encouraged as we thought about the, the good news that... Um, that you've heard because you know what there's still there is still a lot of good news in the world um, and I wanted to start what we're going to do is we're going to think together we're going back into Mark's gospel and uh, this is what we're going to think about um, we're going to think about the greatest what's the best news ever and that raises the question uh, which is critical in Mark's gospel who is Jesus and then we're going to spend a bit of time thinking about the well so what question you know so what if if all this is true and um, and now you might say, uh, okay, well, what, why are we looking at Mark's gospel now? What's the point of that? Well, if you recall, uh, two years ago we did a teaching series on Mark's gospel where we looked at verses, chapters 1 to 8, and uh, I'm sure you all remember that well. Um, and, uh, and so uh, assuming that you don't really, I'm going to give you a quick overview of uh, Mark chapters 1 to 8, and in fact the whole book. And then you'll think to yourself, why did we need all these sermons to cover this when you can cover it really in one hit? Well, here's, here's how the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Mark's a really great, simple uh, gospel, and uh, chapters 1 to 8, and then there's this kind of middle hinge chapter in chapter 9, and then there's chapters 10 to 18. And uh, chapters 1 to 8 are all about... Uh, Jesus' public ministry in Galilee. So he's up in the north of Israel. Oh, I misspelled Galilee. A few too many L's in there. Hang on a moment. So how do you spell Galilee? In the Galil. It's too many L's. Anyway, you get it. Galilee. Um, and then verse chapters, and it's actually not, hey, there's, did anyone pick that? It's, it's not 18. 16. Uh, and then this is really the, the cross. This is the journey to the cross from chapters nine, chapter 10 through to 16. And chapter 9 is the question. Chapter 9 is the hinge of all of uh, Mark's gospel because it's in chapter 9 that... Um, the question of who Jesus is is raised, and he asks us of his disciples, who do you say that I am? And they give a variety of answers, uh, which, we, which set up the scene for what we're going to look at now. So chapters 1 to 8, Jesus in public in Galilee, chapter 9, the hinge of the book, uh, who is Jesus, and then 10 through 16, as we know who Jesus is, we the readers have been led into the secret, we see him 
moving towards the cross. Um, well, what is how? What is the best news ever? This is to to understand the whole. There's a little more complexity going on in chapters one through eight, um, and the complexity is this, right? That that actually the thing that frames the whole gospel, the whole way we to read this, are the first fifteen chapters of Mark one, and I just wanted us to look at this, and it sets the scene for the transfiguration or chapter. Nine that we had read to us. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. And after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Uh, Well, the question is, um, what's the best news ever? And in John's gospel, the best news ever is that the kingdom of God has arrived, has come near, is accessible, has become present in the world. And uh, now you might say, well, why is that good news? Uh, Really, what would be the best news would be the eradication of COVID, the end of, uh, you know, vaccinations that really worked for everybody and a return to life the way it was before COVID. And that would be some good news right, right there. But when we step back and look at the world as a whole, that's not the best news. And, uh, and I'll tell you why. You have to understand the goodness of the good news by locating it in the context of the, the whole uh, way the Bible pictures reality. And uh, that takes us right back to the start of the Bible. So Genesis tells us this primal myth uh, story about our origins, about the nature of the world. And it says that there is a God who lived in a world with a, uh, a divine council. He lived... Um, uh, there's Yahweh, he's the God above all gods, and, uh, and Yahweh lives in a world, has created a divine council of spiritual beings, and this divine council, together with Yahweh, say, you know what, we're going to create, oh, there's, there's a, a rebellion, um, some of these divine council members rebel against Yahweh, they go, well, we, we want to run our bit of the universe without you, Yahweh. So uh, Yahweh develops this plan. He says, what we're going to do is we're going to create the world. Uh, we're going to create this place. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to put human beings on this world. We're going to give them a job to do. And uh, the job of human beings is to love and trust and support Yahweh. And as they do that... Um, they are to uh, they are to defeat evil. So they live in Eden, and they're to defeat evil by bringing God's rule across the whole world. And as they do that, what they're what they don't know is that the the divine rebels are in here attacking them. The rebels against God are going to try and uh, oppose them because they want to oppose God. And humanity, uh, represented by Adam and Eve, are going to push back uh, chaos and disorder and destruction and push back and defeat 
uh, this divine rebellion. Yahweh is going to do defeat divine rebellion through um, a, a humanity, through people who freely choose him and collaborate with him. And once that process is finished, humans, all of humanity, will then rule the world as part of the divine council. So humanity, humans, uh, will be kind of working in collaboration then with Yahweh and with the divine council together. Now we know, <clears throat> and a moment's inspection in the world shows us, that this plan uh, fell apart fairly quickly because Adam and Eve... Um, chose to put themselves under the authority of the divine rebels represented in Genesis 3 by the snake, by the serpent, by the tempter. And uh, so what happened is uh, Adam and Eve rebelled. Adam and Eve get um, chucked out. We'll do them in a different pick. Let's do them in another color now. Uh, let's make them pale green. What should we call? Should we make them make them pink? Adam and Eve get chucked out here, and they're now very, very unhappy. Um, and they're living outside of Eden, and life is a battle for them, right? And now they are they are fighting. And the question is, what is God going to do? And and He does this. Uh, this is uh, Adam and Eve, and they they spectacularly fail. This, you can then think about this as the next stage in the plan is God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to start again with Israel. Um, Israel uh, are meant to come. So if you say these are no longer Adam and Eve, but this is now Israel represented here. Israel are meant to come to the promised land. Eden becomes the promised land instead in this schema. Israel are meant to come live in the promised land. But you know what? Israel do in the promised land, what um, Adam and Eve did in Eden. So they get kicked out of the promised land. They're back in the world of chaos and destruction. And, uh, and now they're living. And then after a whole bunch of time, Israel come back into the promised land, only it's not really Eden recaptured. It's not really what it should be, because now the, the rebels represented by Rome are uh, have authority over them are controlling them and it looks like this whole plan has fallen apart and god has abandoned israel he uh, it's been 400 years since god has spoken to anyone in israel the prophets have been silent and and they're just at a loss they're, our world is coming to an end we 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 thought coming back to live in jerusalem rebuilding the walls this would this would get us back to the center of God's blessing. This would defeat evil, but it hasn't. What on earth is going on? Uh, there were a variety of answers given to that, um, the most common of which was um, collaborate with the Romans, keep the peace at all costs, um, and try and be as obedient to God as possible. And if you're fully obedient and fully submissive to the Romans, then one day God will come back and he'll He'll liberate you from the Romans. He'll bring in the promised land. He'll restore the whole world to this state of uh, primeval blessing with Jerusalem at the center. And so that's what they were looking forward to. They, there was a sense in which Israel as a community still felt like they were living in exile and that God had abandoned them and they were waiting for him to show up. In that context... Oh, and, and they had a whole bunch of promises, by the way. One of the promises was, hey, just wait, guys. There's, um, there's going to come another prophet. And, and what he's going to do is he's going he's to prepare you for this coming of God. And, and what he, he's going to come in the wilderness. This is, this, is, um, you know, this is the wilderness. He's going to come meet you in the wilderness. 
And he's going to prepare the way for God to come and bring you back into the promised land and restore Israel to the center of the world and then Edenize and heal the whole world. So in this context, Mark 1 is the best news in the world because you know what Mark 1 says? Mark 1 and Mark's gospel says, Now uh, Yahweh has a discussion with the divine council and he's looked at the consistent failure of every human being to obey him and participate with him in this cosmic battle against evil. He realizes that uh, that sin has gone in too deep. And so Mark 1 says, now the good news is that Yahweh himself is going to come into this world in incarnate form. His glory is going to be made visible in the same way that it was um, in the wilderness wanderings, when uh, when God appeared in front of Israel in the cloud of fire and the pillar of smoke um, and made himself visible, appeared on Mount Sinai, he says God is now going to show up, but he's going to show up not in, not in fire and cloud, but he's going to show up as a person. And he is going to bring an end to, uh, to the authority of the rebellious angels. He's going to defeat them. He's going to step into the world and do in the world what humans themselves couldn't do. And the genius of the incarnation and the genius of God's plan is that, that evil had to be defeated in humanity. But humanity has failed, so God says, I will come and become fully human while still being fully God, and I will do... I will be the one true Adam, the one true Israel, the one true human who, in whom uh, all the forces of evil will be destroyed and overcome. And, uh, and, he's, and, and he withholds this knowledge of this plan even from the rest of the divine council. Uh, in particular, he withholds this plan from the rebellious members of the divine council. And we know this because in 1 Peter... Um, and later on in the Bible, it says even the angels longed to look into this plan of God, but they didn't know what he was up to. So God, Yahweh says, I've got a plan. I'm not going to let the I'm not going to let the rebellious angels know what's happening. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to step into the world. OK, so he steps into the world. And and as he does that, the 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 evil, it, it's the greatest news in the world for humans. This is what Mark 1 says. It's great news. God himself has come. Like the kingdom of God has come, it's come in a way that is going to be triumphant and victorious and fill you with hope and finally defeat evil. Um, but, but it's not coming in a way that anyone would expect. So through, um, through Mark's gospel, what we see is humans struggle to understand the nature of this kingdom because they thought the kingdom, the Messiah, would come in great power and kick out the Romans. Um, so Jesus with Jesus only slowly reveals his identity as the book unfolds. And he also, which is an interesting thought that I've only really been grappling with in the last few months, he, he also withholds his plan from the angels. And we know that because what we see happen in the first eight chapters of Mark's gospel, Jesus arrives and, and it is on for young and old between the forces of evil and Jesus. Like you read those first eight chapters and you just go, it's bang, bang, bang. You know, why does Jesus go? He's just casting out demons, healing sickness, casting out demons, healing sickness, including people, stilling the water, stilling the chaos. What he's doing is going toe to toe 
with the rebellious members of the divine council who've been in rebellion against God for eons, and that fight is now taking place in Galilee. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And that keeps happening, and and it's like the disciples are kind of somewhat bemused spectators looking at this going, wow, there's something incredible going on. What sort of authority does this guy have? Everything's, everything's submitting to him. And, uh, and the, the thing that Jesus has to do is he has to keep the evil forces attacking him. He's got he's to lure them on. Because you and I know as the ones who have read the whole gospel story, and if we've read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and we've read C.S. Lewis, and we know what happens at the end there, we know that the, the final way in which the kingdom of God is going to come, and Jesus as the incarnate glory of Yahweh is going to defeat evil, is by letting evil letting the, the, the divine, rebellious divine council members working with evil humans actually kill him. And, and the whole of Mark's gospel from actually chapter 9 onwards is really about continuing to take the fight to the, to the, the, the evil, rebellious spirits, the Elohim, so that they will continue to work with evil human beings in order to finally crush Jesus. And of course, they think that they've won on Good Friday. Uh, all of hell would have been rejoicing on Good Friday. But as uh, C.S. Lewis says in the Narnia stories, what Satan and the other rebellious angels did not know was that there was a deeper magic at work that meant that in that final crushing defeat of Jesus, there was actually a final victory over all those who would seek to kill him. Now, that's Mark's gospel. That's the introduction. So now we get to the text, and you, this starts to put in, into perspective what's going on here in Mark chapter 9, because, and there's a bit of background you need to know here, um, Jesus and his disciples are on the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and he asked them, who do you say that I am? So you see, this is the key verse. This is the key question. Like, who do, you, who do people say that I am? The, the question of his identity. You really get it, people. And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one uh, who's going to come and bring in God's kingdom. And, uh, but Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now, what you would have thought, this is great. They finally get it. But you know they don't. Because immediately after they've understood this, Jesus starts to reveal to them God's plan. And he doesn't want them to tell humans, but he also doesn't want them to tell the spirits because he doesn't want them to know that actually um, when they conspire to kill Jesus, they're conspiring in their own defeat. So he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You know, poor old Peter. He's like, but, 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 this can't work. Like, you know, if you die, then, then Satan has won, then the Romans have won. And, and Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, you know what? From a worldly point of view, the concerns of people are right. But, but you know, God's plan is much greater and bigger than this. Um, so, uh, 
So get behind me. Don't distract me. And then we get to the text which uh, was read. He said to them, truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here won't taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. And you go, oh, okay. So they're grappling with who Jesus is, his identity. He's just told them he's going to die. And then he says, but, but I'm going to, lest you think that, that the kingdom of God is all weakness and death is the end, I'm just going to give you a glimpse of what, what's really going on here. And so then uh, after six days, he takes Peter, James, and John with him and led him up a high mountain. Now, um, there's debate in the literature about which mountain this is. Uh, I'm reasonably convinced uh, of the uh, suggestion that it's Mount Hebron, which is uh, a a 2,500-meter-high mountain. And you go, why is that significant? Well, uh, this is significant because uh, Mount Hebron was... In the, in the ancient world, mountains were the peak, the sort of the connecting point between the divine council and humanity. So, so God met humans on the mountain, Mount Sinai and so on. But uh, all the um, religions of the ancient world at the time built their temples and their place of connection with the gods on the mountains. And Mount Hebron, as the tallest mountain, was the place of the greatest number of ten- temples, the greatest concentration, as it were, of places of worship of the rebellious members of the divine council. So one way to think about other religions is that the, uh, the Elohim are given authority in Deuteronomy 32 over all the various nations, and these nations worship these gods, their little g-gods, and, um, and these gods work to keep their, their, their eyes blinded and their hearts hard against Yahweh, the one true God. And in Israel at the time, uh, the greatest concentration of worship and connection with these Elohim was on Mount Hebron. So what Jesus does is he says to his three buddies, come, I'm going to show you something here. Oh, and by the way, um, in Matthew's gospel, uh, Jesus, when, when Peter has just... Um, when he's just rebuked Peter, he then says to Peter, in very famous words, he says, hey, Peter, um, on this rock, I'll build my church. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, uh, no, Matthew 16, he says, on this rock, I'll build my church. I think at that point, he's actually referring to the rock they're standing on, which is Mount Hebron, and uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So here's what some commentators think is going on, that Mount Hebron actually in the worldview of the time, are literally the gates of hell. This is the point of connection between the, the evil Elohim, the rebellious Elohim, and, and where they are connecting and deceiving and destroying humanity. And so Jesus takes his three guys and he takes them to, the, to stand right in front of the gates of hell, and it is there that his glory is revealed. He reveals to his disciples, he says, in front of the very gates of hell, I'm going to stand toe-to-toe with the Elohim, toe-to-toe with, with the evil gods of the nations. And I'm here um, with, uh, as we can see, with Moses and Elijah. So I'm part of God's people uh, and and both in scripture for Elijah and in tradition for Moses. There's this idea that neither of them died. They were... Um, actually just taken up to take their seat at the divine council with God. So they were, they were spiritual beings now ruling the world with God on his side in the divine council. So, so the glory appears and Jesus with his three disciples 
going toe-to-toe with all the forces of evil and chaos and death and destruction in the world, reveals his glory, consistent with Moses and Elijah having a discussion of the subcommittee of the divine council, going, this is what we're going to do. And he's saying to the all the forces of evil, come on out, come out of the gate, come out of hell and do your worst. So simultaneously saying to, to Peter and James and John, I'm the, the divine glory of Yahweh incarnate. I'm going to go toe-to-toe against this forces of evil. And then he's saying to the forces of evil, come on, do your, do your worst. Don't give up now. Here I am. Come on, have a crack at me. And um, that's what happens. The forces of evil come out and uh, they work together from this point on to conspire to kill Jesus. So who is Jesus? He is the the divine God above all gods, wrapped up in human form, come to defeat evil by letting evil kill him and so free humanity to be all that they were meant to be and to take their place with him in the divine council, ruling the world, ruling a restored and renewed creation. Which takes us to our concluding point. I see you go, yes, I'm happy. So what? So what? Here we are. Uh, 2021, 18th of July, in lockdown, in the middle of a global pandemic. All kinds of uncertainty and stress. All sorts of things that are worrying us and concerning us. And this happened 2,000 years ago. So what? Well, that's a very good question. That's a very good question. Um, A cloud appeared after Peter had said to Jesus, I don't really get what's going on here. (laughs) Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. They're terrified. They go, oh, I don't know what to do. Um, Then a cloud appeared and covered them. Uh, And by the way, clouds, uh, in the ancient world, the cloud riders are, it's a sign of divinity, right? So you ride on the clouds. Um, The god of Baal rode on the clouds in the ancient Near East. And so whenever someone appears on a cloud, it's God. A cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, this is my son whom I love. So, okay, so, so God, the great God, Yahweh, is saying, this Jesus who you've just seen, he's my son whom I love, which, by the way, uh, takes us right back to David and Solomon and is saying to them, this is the fulfillment of, of everything that I was ever going to do through uh, Israel. And then there's a command to them, which I'm going to finish on for us, and there's a command to us, and this is what it is. Listen to him. Listen to him. And it's not a new command, right? Uh, this is what it says in Deuteronomy 8, uh, 18, 14. Uh, you know, like a thousand years before the story we're looking at, um, Moses is predicting, or the book of Deuteronomy predicts that there is going to come a prophet greater than Moses, and the nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. So those are all the other nations whose gods are represented on Mount um, Hebron, where they've just gone up. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. You must listen to him. 
must listen to him. What does that mean? In this world in which we live, in your world, how do you turn down the noise, all the voices, all the messages that tell us, trust yourself, um, you're in control, you can do this. How do we, all, of, all the voices that tell us how we should live, how we can make our lives work, how do we turn those down and turn up the voice of Jesus so that we listen to him. And we listen, in, in the Hebrew scriptures, listening was listening to obey. Like if you don't obey what someone says, you haven't really listened to them. <laughs> um, so listen to Jesus. It's really simple, um, but incredibly hard. Uh, listening to Jesus means prioritizing what he has to say about the nature of the world, that the real battle is between God and Satan, and they are now defeated, and we're on the winning side, and, and that's good news. Listen to Jesus when he says, death is not the end for you. You don't have to live in fear. You know, there's so much fear around, around this virus and our lack of control, and you go, listen to Jesus. He's saying, I've got your back. You're on the winning side. This life will pass soon. It's just preparation for eternity, uh, that you will live with me in a restored, renewed, healed, cre re new creation. You'll rule with me in the divine council. Every, every bit of need for control you have will finally be um, given to you one day when you get to rule the world with the angels. So you'll be in control then. So just trust me up until then. Every one of your diseases will be healed. Every bit of your, every tear will be wiped away. Everything will be made new. Listen to me. Listen to me. Don't, don't give in to selfishness. Don't give in to despair. Don't give in to anxiety and worry and depression. It, 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 it's, those are all there, but they don't define us. Listen to me, Jesus says. Listen to me, I love you. I haven't given up on you. Listen to me, I'm there for you. Listen to me, I only want what's best for you. Listen to me, if you build your life on my words, you'll be like a man who's built his house on a foundation of rock and nothing will be able to rock you and overcome you. Listen to me. Now listen to Jesus. Man, just go, oh. you know... I don't know, like, find it, just listen. And, and I, why do we find it so hard to do that? I mean, that's what I find interesting in my own heart. Because the, the voices around me are so loud. And, and it takes faith. And I think I'm a bit like Peter. I don't really get him. I don't get Jesus. And I, no, no, it can't be. You, you seem absent. How can this story make be true how can it really change everything and i want to hedge my bets and i i want a god who will do stuff the stuff that i want done for me right now in whatever way i want i still want to be in control i want a bit of jesus but i want a whole lot of control and he says listen to me no 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 it doesn't work that way surrender follow obey trust so what can you do to listen to jesus oh read the bible like, read Mark's gospel. It's only six. Just read it and say, Jesus, speak to me. I want to listen. I want to listen to what you've got to say. 
So there are disciplines, spiritual disciplines of engagement with Jesus, right? Solitude. You know, we got a bit of that forced on us, some of us. Um, maybe, maybe turn off the screen and just be still with Jesus. To, to, to consciously try and, and I know if you've got young kids at home, that's pretty hard. Maybe the only place you can do this is, you know, in the bathroom with the door locked um, uh, while your partner looks after the kids. Um, but to take a moment of stillness to go, how do I just dial down the voices from everywhere else and the, 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 the parts of me inside of me that are trying to scream out that I... I've got to be in control. I've got to. I've got to take charge. I've got to deal with the pain. I've got to deal with the uncertainty. All s- s- quieten down those voices inside you of the various parts of you that are yelling, and bring all of them into the gentle presence of Jesus, who is the the crucified King, the divine warrior, who's gone into fight for you and for me, and in the service of whom lies our perfect freedom. So listen to him, Lord God. I pray that you will uh, help me. To listen to you, that you'll help us listen to you. Amen.